Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Welcome to the basement. I genuinely am in my basement. I promise. This is the real deal. This is not a set somewhere. I'm not in some fancy studio. This is the basement of my house. I sleep directly above uh, where I'm standing right now. And I have all kinds of fun things to talk to you guys about. We're going to talk about, oh, yeah, the Buffalo Bills. Big Bills talk right now. And I'll tell you why. Because there is no Bills talk right now. It's about everybody else. We'll get into that. We're going to get into... Oh my gosh, you can't go five seconds without somebody ranking the AFC quarterbacks and debating and getting knives out about who's right and who's wrong. I've done it myself. We're going to have to address that for a little bit here. And also, what is the most satisfying end to a movie? Not best, not most memorable, not scariest, just like satisfying. We have thoughts on that and we have an all-time, an all-time potential takes-on-takes battle with, oh my gosh, just wait till you see the behemoths that we have. Cowherds coming in here. You just I'm just going to leave it like that. Who do you want Colin Cowherd to go against in Takes on Takes? That person you're probably thinking about is who he's going against. That show you're listening to right now and watching, Kyle Brandt's Basement, we always start with what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Come on now! Good morning, uh, Western New York, and good morning, everybody who's watching the show, looking at the show. It's been a long time since uh, we would go every single week having our guy, the QB1 of Kyle Brandt's basement, Josh Allen, number 17, the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, things have changed over the last uh, few weeks, few months. You know what I love? And I do really mean that I love this. I love that all the hype and all the focus and all the fancy neon lights and predictions and projections... They're being taken off the Buffalo Bills. And you saw it happening in slow motion. The second the Rodgers rumors started going up to the Jets, oh, all the attention is going over to the Jets. The second Jalen Ramsey goes over to the Miami Dolphins and Tua's coming back, some of the attention went to the Miami Dolphins. And a lot of that attention went off the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I could find this frustrating as a Bills enthusiast. I could find this enraging. But I don't. I actually find it uh, absolutely perfect strategically. This is a good thing. I was asked the question this morning on the NFL's league-owned network. Are the Jets with Rodgers the most talented team in the AFC East? It's already happening. That bloom is off the Buffalo Rose. They had a couple years where that division was supple and the quarterbacks were terrible and they just couldn't cash in the big dog, and they couldn't win the Super Bowl, and now that regular season dynasty is over. It's over. I love it. I love that that's happening, because go ahead and let everybody do backflips over Aaron Rodgers, who's going to magically come into one of the worst franchises in the entire NFL, and they snap their fingers, and he's going to be in an AFC title game, and I'm sure it'll just go great. The Miami Dolphins, who have a rich, consistent history of always getting to the playoffs and performing there, and I'm sure they'll have no question marks at all with their quarterback, and their second-year head coach is God's gift. I'm sure they'll be in the title game against the Jets. And the Bills, with their incredibly talented lineup, roster, experience level, 
they're just kind of yesterday's news. Let the people think that, let the players think that, and I think the Bills have them exactly where they want them. Let's be honest, as, as if you're a Bills fan, if you're a Bills observer, if you're a Buffalo Bill yourself, the last two years have been a slow motion coronation. Culminating in last year's preseason and probably the first month of last year's actual season. We're like, oh, it's the Bills, it's the Bills, they're number one in the power rankings. Everyone's gunning for them, expectations, expectations, hope, this is the year, I can finally die happy. And it didn't work out, we know that. It didn't end, didn't work out, it ended in a flurry and a flurry of touchdowns from the Cincinnati Bengals on the Bills home field and it was over like that. I think this is, a this is absolutely fine. I'm not triggered, I'm not mad, I'm, I just sit there and watch the Jets hype. Watch the Dolphins hype. Watch whatever Belichick pulls out of his backside in the draft and in the offseason to get them competitive. Watch it and get ready to put marshmallows on a stick and roast them on the fire that will become those teams. Just enjoy your talent, be quiet, snake in the, wait, snake in the grass, land waiting, and attack. I think there is something to the paranoia of Buffalo Bills fans that have been bred over the years to grow and grow into the we can't win the big one that whenever anything's excited or ex expected of us and we get excited about something it comes crashing down the pressure becomes too much when we're supposed to we're better as an underdog I agree with a lot of that there is a mentality there and it may be a defeatist mentality but I think it exists either way that a few years back when Josh was really exploding and they came not out of nowhere, but they blew up and they the whole game at Arrowhead and they went back and forth and they didn't win it, but oh my God, they were so good. Since then, they've been expected to start a Super Bowl dynasty and it has not happened. I like the Bills as low profile. I like the Bills amongst the other shiny objects in the division that more people are excited about. I like the Bills being looked at as yesterday's news because that's when you surprise someone and then smack the hell out of them. And you say, hold on a second. We have the best quarterback in the division. We do, in 2023. We got it. You can do backflips over you want over Tyreek Hill. He's great. You can say that this Garrett Wilson is going to be the greatest receiver of all time. We believe we have the best receiver in the division. We believe we have the best tight end in the division. We believe next year we're going to have the best pass rush in the division and the best safety, maybe both of them, and on and on and on. We think we got a lot of the best in the division. If you don't, if you move on to other things, fine. Go ahead. I'd rather you do it. If you want to set up those little tents and training camp and bring in the satellite dishes and the media trucks and you want to do it at Jets camp, do it. Get out of here. We will go about our business. We are very secure because all the storylines are out there. You know, the Bills had their time and they just couldn't cash it in. And now, you know, the Josh Allen money really goes up. It's going to be more difficult. You know, Vaughn was supposed to gift wrap you a Super Bowl. Now he's injured. Yeah, Poyer's back, but he's old now. Uh, on and on and on and on. We lost this guy, don't have that guy. Fine. Let it fester. Let it grow. Just sit there and lay in waiting and understand that you have an alien at quarterback. You have an excellent coach. It's better sometimes to come from behind. It's better sometimes to be the underdog. It's better sometimes to not be crowned before the season starts. I like it. Watch. When Rodgers back and it does happen, you're going to see... Come prediction season, you're going to see analysts and talking heads and all kinds of people like me who say, Jets, Jets, I'm picking the Jets to win the division. Oh, really? I'm not. I'm picking the Dolphins. I think the Bills are not going to make the play. It's all going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be more of it than you think. Soak it in. Wait. Rest. 
and then slam that sucker down at the end of the season, that little ticket that you held, that little receipt when it's playoff time, and the Bills will be the Bills. Just trust me. This is this is good. You had a couple years, certainly one year as the big-time frontrunner. It's okay. Let everybody else throw the bleeping party, and then we'll see you in January when that happens. Guys, I like it. In fact, I love it. Let's get to what I hate, though. It's also AFC-related. Off-season in NFL media, it's ranking season. <laughs> There's a lot of ranking that goes on. Top five lists, top ten lists. That is the manna that gets us through the desert of the off-season. Producers love top five lists because they're simple and they're clean and they, they work well on social. Not terribly creative, not in any way creative, but it's just a simple beginning, middle, and end segment and you give some people to look at and to fight about and it inspires debate. I do sometimes, I do the top five list sometimes. I'm not immune to them, I'm not above them. I just try to look for something else. But that's why I can't get here anymore with the ranking the AFC quarterbacks. Believe me, Kyle Brandt's, produce, Kyle Brandt's basement super producer, Michael Flynn, has been effectively trying to twist my arm and hold me at knife point simultaneously to do a top five AFC quarterbacks segment, week, month, anything. Rank the quarterbacks. That's how the producers are wired. Everybody does it. We did it on Good Morning Football. We ranked them. Simple, great segment. I'm so sick of it. I'll tell you why. Because we are in a world and a time and an era where Patrick Mahomes just objectively should stand alone at number one in AFC. What he's accomplished. Bills fans, Bengals fans, I don't care. I love you. It's Mahomes. And I know it and you know it. But then after that, it's just, it's just this free-for-all. And it's this crazy thing where there's six or seven or five great guys to fill four spots. And they all have different skills and they have a slightly different experience. And it's just, pick your spot and they really can't be wrong. If you want to tell me that it's something crazy, like Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the AFC, now you're just trying to get clicks or some trying to fish hook people into looking at your stuff. It's Mahomes and then everybody else. I did this on Good Morning Football. It's an exercise in futility. I had... Mahomes, and then I had uh, Rodgers, which kind of seems kind of hot takey, but kind of not. I stand by it. Then I had Burrow. Uh, Jason McCourty comes up, and he does it on Good Morning Football. He's got Lamar Jackson in his top five. He's got this. He's got that. Um, RG3. RG3, like, pissed some people off. Robert Griffin III. He went. Mahomes won. Allen, two. He's got Lamar, three. Burrow, four. And Rodgers, five. That seems like an entirely sensible list to me. I like that list. Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow, Rodgers. There's always this contingency. Like, what, what about Justin Herbert? Have you seen how he can throw the blah, 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 blah? All right. All right. Take it easy. He also fired it up with a tweet. We have the RG3 tweet. See, this is just throwing kindling into the fire. RG3 tweets. Joe Burrow is an amazing quarterback. He has the best receiving targets of anyone on this list. Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, and Rodgers would all have greater success with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd to throw to. I don't know if I agree with that. I, who cares? I respect RG3. <laughs> Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl with those guys and was on a bad knee in his second year ever. I don't know if you can do a lot better than that. He's in the playoffs this year. He wins in Buffalo. I was at the game... Rob, I love you. <laughs> they started the game going touchdown, touchdown in the first two drives, and it was just kind of over. Burr looked really good. I don't know for sure that those other guys can do it, but that's besides the point. Um, 
do you like seeing top five AFC quarterback things? I like seeing the NFC ones. If you're gonna rank and you're gonna just say, ah, screw it today, what should we do? Let's rank quarterbacks. I like the NFC ones because it's bizarre and it's a complete mystery. Jalen Hurts, even the Jalen Hurts thing, one great year, God bless him, I loved him. He's just a deadlock at number one. I don't know who unseats him. Brady's gone, Rogers gone. We did this here on the show. There's all sorts of these weird Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, strange ones. And people are like, did you see Daniel Jones in that first playoff? Yeah, he looked awesome. You think he should be a top five quarterback? The NFC one is so murky and so bizarre and so fun to play with. The AFC one, it's Mahomes, then take your pick. I, I, I don't even like the debate. Do you enjoy hearing a debate about who's better, Allen or Burrow? They're both just excellent. They're slightly different styles in, in, in their playing ability. Burrow's been to a Super Bowl. Allen hasn't. Allen's had some spectacular performances. Allen is a much better... I, I'm, I'm into the weeds now debating it, and I don't like it. It's, it's just... It's nonsense. It's like... It's one of these things where I debate the best candy. Ugh. All right, here we go. It has a place, and it's a, it's a, this place is certainly in the offseason. But once you've seen one list, you're just going to hate the list. All they're up there is to, to get hate clicks. I can tell you from experience. You put out a top five list of quarterbacks, you could think, you could have the most football acumen, you could research it, you could uh, sweat and toil over every single pick and lose sleep over it, and then finally issue your perfect top five list. It doesn't go well. Ever. It's never like, gotta tell you, Brent, this is pretty immaculate. I don't disagree with any of it. I think you got it perfect. It's always, what is this guy smoking? How does this guy have a job? Uh, you know, all sorts of jokes about like, you, there's still time to delete this. <laughs> so dumb. And you're like, what do you mean? Is it, I, I, maybe you disagree. Is it that bad? You really hate Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers that much? Trash. All right, fine. You're an idiot then if you think that. And then I'm calling people idiots. It's a terrible thing. It just makes people fight. There's no way to win it. There's no right answer. Nothing. And so RG3 is taking all this heat about anti-Burrow. I don't really agree with him, but like, I don't think it's a crazy opinion. I, don't, I would never tweet him that he's an idiot or should be fired. I'm sure people are doing that worse. I can't do it anymore. We may do some lists on this, on this show. We may do. We already have done a bunch of them. We're not ranking the AFC quarterbacks. We're just not doing it. I will not do it. Stand for something or you'll fall for anything. I hate ranking AFC quarterbacks. There, I said it. Now let's get, though, to something that's hilarious that I like doing. That's the best kind of notification. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment another business dream becomes a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling helmets or cleats, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash brant, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash brant to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash brant.
fun account to follow on Twitter, Super 70s Sports. It doesn't sound fun for me. It's not something I would jump on because the 70s sports aren't my thing. I was, I'm not old enough to have enjoyed the 70s sports. Super 90s sports, Super 80s sports, all that. doesn't matter. It, even if you were my age or younger, it's a good account. It's creative. It's fun. Case in point, it's not all about Terry Bradshaw all the time or Johnny Bench or people in the 70s. It's, uh, it's, they tweeted this. I don't know where. I don't even know what the peg was. I don't care. Super 70s sports. Good account. They tweeted... What is your all-time most satisfying movie ending? And he has the gif of the end of Shawshank when Red is walking up on the beach and there's Andy who's working on an old boat and they smile and he says, Super 70 Sports says, I'll start. Gets me every bleeping time. It's a good question. And I think it's a good question because as I said earlier in the show, it's a unique question. I've seen a million what's the best ending in, in a movie, and you know, you could say seven, or you could say usual suspects. All Satisfying. And I think the question means this. When you're watching the movie, when it wraps up and the credits roll, you just feel good. And you say, man, they really tied up all the storylines. There are no loose ends. I really enjoy the way that movie ended. I don't really have questions. I'm not terribly worried about what happens next. They just nailed it. I'm very satisfied with that meal that I just had. That movie, three-course dinner of a, of a movie. And I just, it was incredibly satisfying. Check, please. Let's go. We asked the question to you. Now, my answer, uh, I actually literally just pointed to it. I think The Karate Kid is an incredibly satisfying ending. And I know it's given way to farce now and satire and they're self-deprecating with the whole Cobra Kai series. The fact is, at the end of the movie, the little underdog guy who's been facing off against the bully, jump kicks him in the face to win the tournament. He gets the girl. He makes Mr. Miyagi happy. We had one of the same tweeters when he asked that the same thing. It's just, it, it's a beautiful thing. The music surges. There's the tournament bracket behind him. 80s, yes, corny, sure. I'm very aware of the, the thing whereby Johnny is actually the hero and, and Machio is, is the villain. Just take it for what it's worth. The end, he beats the, the guy in the, in, the, in the good gi, he beats the guy in the bad gi, and jump kicks him. There's Elizabeth Shue, Pat Morita, roll credits, Mr. Miyagi smiles. It's, it's a satisfying ending. Very satisfying. I would say that. I would also say um, Rogue One. Rogue One, which I just watched this past weekend with my nine-year-old for the first time. He loved it. Very satisfying. If you haven't seen it, you know. Vader just, there's just some Darth Vader porn basically. He just whips ass of everybody with his lightsaber and his, his force power. And then there's this cool Princess Leia and they have the perfect final line. It's just awesome. It's like, oh my God, I love how they ended that. That's so satisfying. And now we can start episode four. It's great. But I asked you, I say Karate Kid, I say Rogue One. What ending is just like, oh my God, bravo to the filmmakers. Let's get into it. Uh, what else do we have? What did the people send? All right, this guy whose Twitter handle is sports are dumb. He submits the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm looking at Mary and Pippin and Frodo applauding and smiling. I don't know if I agree with that. As someone who didn't ever read the books but has seen the movies many times and once a year, if you don't know this about me, my friends and I get together and we watch all three movies back to back to back. The director's cut too, it's like 14 hours total. I'm that big of a Lord of the Rings nerd. And maybe it's because I'm really drunk or anesthetized by the end of the trilogy, but I always find myself like, wait, Frodo and Sam leave and they're floating away and they, they I don't understand why they're leaving the other. 
I understand that there's a whole story about it. I don't find that ending satisfying. I find it kind of sad and I wish that they would end just all raising ale together and partying and they're gonna raise families in the Shire and everything's happy. I don't find that ending satisfying. I, I don't, I disagree with you. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not satisfied with it. Next, uh, Walshy, oh baby. Walshy, whose avatar is a, is a picture of Patrick Swayze in the role of Dalton. He goes with his own um, identity. He says the most satisfying ending, he says, Dalton cleaning up the double deuce and the business owners smoking that a-hole Brad Wesley. <laughs> and of course, Dalton gets the dock. <laughs> that's, that's a great tweet. Roadhouse, um, it's pretty satisfying. Brad Wesley gets shot like 37 times in his own home. Um, Tinker gets a giant stuffed polar bear dropped on him. And then Dalton... Who it's fresh off spin kicking the gun out of Brad Wesley's hand. Uh, he ends up the post credit scene. They're so brilliant. They're like, can we get uh, one more makeout scene between Dalton and the impossibly offensively attractive small town doctor? And can we get them not in a swimming pool, but in like a swimming hole in a crick of some kind, just going after it? Hell yes. And that's the closing credit sequence. This is an excellent answer. <laughs> excellent. The the Roadhouse ending is, is about as good as it gets. So much so that they gave you that extra credit. You can say all you want about the credit sequence and the hangover. It's awesome. They find the camera. The one in Roadhouse is incredible. Just so good. Great answer. Next. Most satisfying movie ending. Ah, my friend NFL fashion advice. He's got a pick of Affleck. <laughs> In 1997's Goodwill Hunting with the line, you know what the best part of my day is? It's for about 10 seconds when I pull up to the curb to when I get to your door. Because I think maybe I'll get up there and I'll knock on the door and you won't be there. No goodbye, no see you later, no nothing. Just left. The funny monologue from Ben Affleck. It, it, the um, Goodwill Hunting ending is, is pretty cool. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. It doesn't really, you don't get to see him find Skyler or get the new job or whatever he's gonna do. I find it interesting that Robin Williams has the final line of that movie when he sees the letter from Will that says I had to go see about a girl and Robin Williams' character says, uh, son of a bitch, you stole my line. That was an ad lib, that was not scripted. Those two guys won the Oscar for best uh, screenplay and the last line of it was an ad lib from Robin Williams. It's a satisfying ending, but I would like to, it doesn't like just hammer it home. It's just more of this poetic thing where he's driving off in the good car the Cole Hauser gave him and he doesn't get to, we don't get to actually see it. So beautiful ending, beautiful movie. I don't know how well it's aged, a little corny, but I don't think it's the most satisfying ending. Uh, next, give me something really satisfying. Hits the spot, here we go. Logan Swaim, big, big, famous uh, television producer and content creator, Logan Swaim. He says dreams, not close. By dreams, he's doing like an edgy, cool abbreviation for Field of Dreams. And the picture he includes is the final shot of the film, where when they pan back from the Iowa baseball field, you can see uh, countless cars pulling up to see the magical baseball players. Thought being that he built it. They did come, and they will pay money to see the baseball players because Ray, the Kevin Costner character, has bankrupted his family and his business and really needs money badly. Beautiful ending, beautiful movie. Uh, when he says, Dad, you want to have a catch, and his voice kind of catches in his throat, ah, that brings the feels. 
I do wonder the next day factor of this movie though. Like what exactly is the plan here? What kind of business do they have set up to charge these people? With the media attention that these people are flocking to an Iowa baseball field to see ghost baseball players, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't know how that would go over. I don't think they're equipped for all the parking for those people. What's the lodging situation? Those people are going to need to use the bathroom. Like They're completely not ready for that. So it might be a little bit of a disaster, but it is a beautiful image, Logan Swam. Great job by you, buddy. Go Hawkeyes. Next, most satisfying... <laughs> I know what this is. Cole Wright, a, a peer of mine, he just says, Kyle, do you even need to ask? And you know, I have a picture of an American uh, flag boxing glove and a Soviet Union boxing glove punching each other and exploding. <laughs> that would be a reference to the fourth installment in the Rocky franchise, Rocky IV. It's unbelievably satisfying. <laughs> he beats the Russian... Even though Rocky got hit 5,000 times in the face, and for all the steroids and Drago, he had no knockout power at all. Whatever he hits, he destroys, but he hit Rocky 50 times a minute, and he still can destroy him. Rocky wins, gives the speech. Adrian's there, the kid's watching at home. Is it tainted at all for you that when the beginning of Rocky V, we reveal that Rocky has brain damage? <laughs> Rocky V, what a come down. Right after, they pick it up immediately, and they're like, he's like, I can't stop, I can't, I can't stop my hands from shaking. And then they scan his brain, you're like, you're, I think you're screwed. <laughs> like, Drago might have killed you. I don't count it against it. Cole Wright, that's a good answer. Rocky Five sucks. Um, Tristan Booten says, It's a Wonderful Life. Tristan, that movie's terrible. I hate that movie. I've said that on this show before. It's something that we have just grandfathered in as this classic. Watch it with fresh eyes or for the first time now. Miserable, long, boring. I don't love the black and white, frankly, and I guess the ending is glorious. I was asleep an hour before that. I, I don't. I couldn't tell you if it's a satisfying ending. I don't, Travis, I, I like your um, Mega Man little avatar there, but I, and It's a Wonderful Life is a terrible, terrible movie. Terrible, terrible movie. Is that all we got? Oh, shoot. Running with Scissors says, we got a GIF from Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, and I respect this gift because it does not have the updated version with Hayden Christensen morphed in as the ghost Anakin Skywalker as he takes his place next to Yoda and Obi-Wan. I like this ending. People hate, uh, it's very cool to hate Ewoks. It's very cool to hate this movie. Neither apply to me. I don't care. I was the right age when I saw it. It's a beautiful moment when Luke walks over there and sees that now his his mentor and his mentor's mentor are rejoined by his father, who he saved and redeemed. It's a beautiful ending. Beautiful. I like it. Those Ewok parties probably go hard, too. I, I don't know what they're smoking, but I, I'll take some. I like that one. All right, DJ and KC says, usual suspects, and we see the spacey gif. He says, completely had me duped. That has all duped. I saw usual suspects in the theater. I didn't have no idea what I had just seen. My, we walked out of there. I was 16 years old. I was like, who? What? Ah. It wasn't satisfying at all. It was interesting and thought-provoking and really well executed. Now I've seen that movie a thousand times, but I don't think it was satisfying at all. It was confusing. Confusing. Maybe I was too stupid. Uh, last one. Most satisfying movie ending. <sighs> Jorge Martinez. This is a terrible answer. I'm looking at the top that spins in the final shot of Inception. This is the least satisfying movie ending. Wait, do you understand what the definition of the word satisfying is? It's like a Snickers. You eat it and you're like, mmm. The Inception ending, you're sitting there like, what? What do you mean? What happens? Does it fall? Is he dreaming? Is he awake? Is Leo awake? And then you, the credits roll and you have to leave and you have some sort of very highfalutin uh, cerebral debate with whoever you're with. No, I think he was asleep. That's all interesting. It's not satisfying. It's annoying. 
That's the least satisfying. What are you talking about? Jorge, thank you for tweeting. I love you. His, his Twitter handle is Joe Mama, my mama. So talking about highfalutin, but I, I, that, and then it is like the, if I had asked, if, what is the least satisfying movie ending of all time? You, you might have submitted that. Really good movie. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is content. And we always get that from the next two gentlemen who will appear in a segment that we call Takes on Takes. Let's go. I got numbers. I'm ready to use them. I'm not afraid to use them. I got a two. I got a five. I got a six. I got everything. I give my takes on the takes and I judge them slam dunk contest style in three categories, delivery, creativity, and heat. First up, we have two combatants. Whoever gets the higher score will win. Colin Cowherd on his The Volume podcast. This is something. Okay. Cowherd has been on four times. He's only won once. He averages 5.75, which is low. Um, Colin has the take on Michael Jordan. He's reacting to Michael Jordan being in talks to sell his majority stake in the Hornets. Here's Colin's take on MJ. So he tried baseball. He failed. He tried ownership. He was awful. He tried the Wizards. It bombed. Everybody understand that take out Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson? This whole Michael Jordan mythology is sort of just that. He's arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. But he's done a lot of stuff. Never the golfer, he claimed. Failed at baseball. Bad NBA personnel guy. Not a very strong owner. Hornets have been mediocre and uninteresting forever. He was a great, great basketball player. I always like, uh, I, you could tell that Colin has put a lot of thought into his takes and they're very well articulated. I've worked with him a little bit and I, I respect the way he goes about his business. I don't exactly understand the point here um, that he's failed in other avenues. And the, the, the strangest point is that, well, without Phil Jackson and Pippen, he wouldn't have done anything. It's just basketball. Would Kobe have done anything without Shaq and Phil Jackson or Pau Gasol? Like, that's just, just kind of the way it works. Would Babe Ruth have done anything if not for the rest of the 27 Yankees? Would Keith Richards have done anything without Mick Jagger? Would Scorsese have done anything without De Niro? Like, it, it's, you don't really stand alone in team sports. There's always those other people, of course. And, you know, Michael Jordan did create an entire uh, worldwide international brand of uh, sneakers and a logo of a guy spreading his legs and dunking. Michael Jordan gets teenage kids in 2023 to go to shopping malls and line up before the store opens just because they believe so much in his mythology and what he represents and to pay irresponsible amounts of money for shoes. That's what Michael Jordan represents. Yeah, he hit like 200 in baseball. He wasn't great and he's not a good dresser and he was not a good owner. I don't really understand the point. It's, it's, I think it's gotten a lot of heat on it because any negative Jordan take outside of LeBron is better is original and you have to work really hard. Now, if you want to say he's a gambling addict and maybe he was a philanderer at some point, like that all gets very, very greasy. Uh, he's the best basketball player ever. 
He's a crappy owner, maybe. Not the best baseball player ever. But, like, yeah, Pippen was really good, and so was Phil Jackson. <laughs> would, would, would Belichick have ever won anything without Brady? I don't know. I guess Brady won a Super Bowl without him. I, I, here's the thing. That's not what this segment is about. Uh, the delivery was fine. Um, the, uh, the heat was definitely there. Uh, I'm going to give him... It's, I, the fact that he went after Jordan gives it some chutzpah. So I will give it, I'm just, I'm just going to give it a six. I give a lot of sixes in this segment, and I hate doing that. It's kind of ironic, like you're supposed to have a strong take, and a six is not a strong take. What would you have given that? Let's find out who can beat it. Oh, man. Mad Dog. Pero Loco. Chris Russo was on ESPN's first take. He's been on this segment, uh, takes on takes, three times. He's won two times. He was asked, Mad Dog, about the ending to the World Baseball Classic where Japanese pitcher uh, Shohei Otani struck out his Angels teammate, USA's Mike Trout. They're both on the Angels together. It's a very dramatic moment when people really liked it. It's like one of the greatest baseball moments we've seen in a long time, it feels like. Struck him out on a 3-2 pitch in a one-run game, and the Mad Dog had this to say about it. Can I throw cold water on this, please? Stevie, can I throw what? cold water on this? May oh, I? Lord. I mean, I don't really want can to, I? but you can. Go ahead. Right, listen. Go ahead. I'll follow Otani, up. Go ahead. Otani's great. Did a great job. Phenomenal. Hits. Phenomenal. Comes on. To, uh, so let's leave him. Can I leave him alone and put him on the side for a second? We're going to make this out to be an epic at bat. Really? What is Gibson and Eckersley then in the World Series in game one when Gibson hobbled around the bases <laughs> and hit the home run against Eckersley, Dodgers A's in 88, one of the great, great home runs in the history of baseball? World Series. Absolutely. Okay, well, well, but hold it now. Did you see the headlines today? Epic at bat. Incredible moment. What? Yeah, but why? Because they're teammates? I mean, and Trout does nothing oh. but strike out. Yeah. Trout oh struck God. out twice in the game. He strikes out. You know, everybody talks to me about Trout and DiMaggio. I mean, Trout strikes out 175 times a year. Plus the fact. Plus, are you looking at me? Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at the ground. Look at me. Plus the fact it was two out, nobody on. The game was awful. Mm. That game was a bad game. I was bored stiff. It was two outs, nobody on. And the game was, it wasn't like the bases were loaded. It wasn't like he was the, he was the winning one at the plate. It wasn't like he fouled any off pitches. This is good. And I like that he ended with this gesture, which is kind of a mad dog signature. I love that he started by referring to Stephen A. Smith as Stevie, which I've never heard before. I like that when Mad Dog talks, he kind of goes like this, and whoever is his camera operator has to keep following him. I, I love a lot of it. I, I love that it's this incredible moment for baseball, and Mad Dog is employed by Major League Baseball in a sense, and he just completely takes a dump on it. <laughs> I don't want to get caught up in any of the facts, like him saying, Mike Trout strikes out 175 times a year! Um, the fact being that Mike Trout has struck out 175 times a year only one year, and it was nine years ago, <laughs> but it's fine. It's totally irrelevant. Um, I really, really like it. He has his own show on MLB Network, and understand, this was this, this gift from heaven from Major League Baseball that is trying anything, everything, to be fresh and relevant, and they're just anything, and this was heaven. The World Baseball, people are watching. The ratings were through the roof. He's like, why? Because the teammates? Yeah, Chris. 
<laughs> That's why! Because they're teammates, and they represent different countries, and here they are, and they're two stars, and this is awesome! It's really, really cool. I'm trying, it's like, I'm trying to think of it in the football comparison. It's like the best corner is guarding the best receiver in a long, like a deep ball on third and nine. And they going against each other in this massive thing with millions of people watching. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes. The fact that he's teammates has a lot to do with it. Um, I love this take. I love that no one talked him off it because they're hyping up. This was great and great for baseball game. And can I can I can I throw cold water on this? And it, it, you knew it was coming. I love that he did that. You know how easy it is to show up for work for him to just yeah, amazing, epic. I was so great, and just go with the flow, and then take your check and go home and do whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. This sucked. <laughs> That's very funny to me. Uh, Michael Flint, I know you have thoughts on this. Get in here and, and give your opinion because this. Listen, Mad Dog's gonna win this, so why don't we just give him a victory lap while you're at it? Flynn, get in here. What do you think about this? It, isn't it incredible? Like he he is yes. Im, like you with the NFL. He is employed by the league. He has his own show right in the middle of the day <laughs> on MLB Network. And here he is saying it's not a big deal. The game started with the ceremony where Otani led his Japanese teammates onto the field with the Japanese flag and Trout yep. led his American teammates onto the field with the USA flag. Like these are the two biggest, not only the two biggest names, these are arguably the two best baseball players of our entire generation. They've never <laughs> faced off against each other in a competitive game before. They did game before because the fact that they're on the same team makes that team pretty much irrelevant because they aren't able to pay for their players and they're never in the playoffs. Like, this is the first time we've seen these two guys on the actual stage that they're meant to be on, and one struck the other out in a one-run ball game on a full count. It, incredible. Like, it's the most bizarre take. It's perfectly mad dog that he has a stat in there that is the, the complete opposite of true. This did you, did you give it a score? What's your score? I'm waiting, but I also think it has a Mad Dog hallmark that the people want, which is the casual, he had to go to Gibson versus Eckersley from, I don't know, 30 plus years ago. And it's just absolutely perfect. Um, I'm so charmed by this and I relate, it's like, because I also am a Lego network. And if you were to come out after some magical moment, it'd just be like, that sucked. Like I, for baseball, having that, it would have been like, like Eli and Peyton playing each other in the Super Bowl, and it came down to the last drive, and Eli beat his like just to be huge, and he's right. like, "Can I throw some cold water on this?" Like, why don't you just say that's why? Because that's what makes you different, and I'm giving him a ten. It, it, it amused yeah. me that much. We're talking about it still. I brought in the producer to talk about it. I feel like this is the one where if we were to serialize takes on takes, Flynn, and every single time a new take comes up, they have to beat the Mad Dogs take on the World Baseball Classic, we would have a month-long run, like when the butt fumble was the not top 10 plays on ESPN for like a year or something. It's just been that good. Did, did we get it right? Is it a 10 or should I give it a 9? It is a 10. It is the second 10 in the history of this segment. Uh, I would say it blows the other 10 completely out of the water. This is why Chris Mad Dog Russo is the takes on takes Hall of Famer that he is. It's absolutely excellent. That's why you've been doing it so many years. Did, did, did we forget about uh, Kirk Gibson, Eckersley? And it's like, that was in the 80s. <laughs> not even, right. not he, even the even, 90s. Of course we didn't forget about it. He brought up DiMaggio too, which was even further back than that. <laughs> like that, that's, that's just his staple. Unbelievable. Um, 
Takes on takes is one of our staples, Flynn. I appreciate you weighing in. We got a 10. I, I, he nearly doubled the score of Cowherd, who took down Michael Jordan. Like, that usually is some firepower, but he didn't. Thank you, Flynn. We'll see you tomorrow for the last show of the week. I'm going to throw a dart. We'll go to the Sky Cam. Been all kinds of fun today. I got all kinds of stuff going on upstairs. I got... Oh, I'm conducting a, a, a paddle auction in our town tonight for charity, so I got to get dressed up. And today's topic will be number 16. I feel like I don't hit a lot of 16s. What is topic number 16 to end Kyle Brandt's basement on this beautiful Thursday, March 23rd? Topic 16. Who would play you in a movie? Well, the D-bag answer is, oh, I'd play myself. Especially considering I have uh, considerable acting experience in my distant background. Um, who would I want to play me in a movie? Um, let's see. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, it's Channing Tatum? <laughs> Is that a lame answer? I don't know. No, like, I, I, I would want to play myself. I would. I, there will never be a movie about me unless something terrible happens to me. That's the only way. And there's some incredible sort of We Are Marshall homage to me and some absolute tragedy occurred in my life and they think they should make a movie about it. If they do, screw Channing Tatum. I'm playing myself. I, I know the role better than anybody else. There will be a Kyle Brandt's basement chapter. There'll be a scene. We will recreate the set and everything like that. I have never thought about that question before but you better believe it's gonna be me. Like Howard Stern in Private Parts. If he can do it, I can do it. Guys, thanks for joining today. This is a satisfying ending to a show that included satisfying endings and uh, an unbelievable historic piece of content from Chris Russo that got a 10. We talked bills, we talked quarterbacks, we'll talk it all tomorrow, all kinds of new stuff. Kyle Brand Spaceman, thank you for watching. Share, retweet, pass it on to your friends, tell your mom about the show. Exit through the garage, close the door on your way out. Thanks guys, see ya.